Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn, if you will, to the last chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter. Some of you, I'm a little surprised. I thought you would react in a much more excited way when I said the last chapter of the book of Genesis. Because for many of us, we've been walking through the life of Joseph for some time. And I admit, there are so many other things we could say about Joseph's life. There are so many other scriptures we could probe. And some of you know that I I could continue on and on and on. That was your moment for amen. But I think there comes a time when we have to kind of wrap it up to understand the basic life of Joseph and what God is teaching us through the Joseph narratives. And I believe we've come to that point. Next week, we'll begin another life, the life of Jesus, and we'll look at his life for the remainder of the year. I hope that you'll come back and you'll be a part as we get started in that new sermon series. But I want to wrap up the life of Joseph, and I want to talk to you about two distinct characteristics, the characteristic of guilt and the characteristic of grace. And I want you to know this morning as I've studied this passage that I am certain that all of us can somehow apply this to our lives. I am actually certain that God has this message for those of us who are in this place today. Because many of us struggle between those polar opposites of guilt and grace. Many of us struggle with that. Many of us struggle with guilt in particular and how we are to convey grace to others in our lives. And in Genesis chapter 50, here in verses 15 through 21, you will see how guilt actually meets grace. And you will see how those coming together give us a wonderful picture of how God can take away our guilt and meet us with a sense of grace and love and compassion today. So Genesis chapter 50, let's get into the text. Verse 15, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about, it as this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Those two characteristics of guilt and grace, they meet right here in the Scripture. They intersect together as they do so often in our lives. Look at the context. It says that Joseph's brothers... They begin to reflect on the recent happenings, in particular their father's death. Jacob has died. Jacob was 147 years old, and now he has died. And they began thinking about this. They said, you know, Jacob, daddy, he was kind of like a restraining force. You and I know what that's like, right? 
We've had dads that were restraining forces in our lives. They could restrain us by a simple look or a comment or whatever else. They could keep us from doing things that we should not have been doing. Can I get an amen? We are, many of us have experienced dads like that. And they said, you know, dad is gone. Dad's gone. Now Joseph may use this opportunity to get us back. He may use this moment to punish us for what we did. And they begin to scheme and put together this plan to go before him and to, to, to just say, hey, daddy said, we know daddy's gone, but daddy said, don't punish us. As a matter of fact, he said that we could be your servants. We could be your slaves. Guilt. Guilt that riddles our lives. But I want to go on to the grace for a moment. I'm going to come back. Actually, I'm going to do this in reverse this morning. I want to look at the grace first. And then I want to come back and look at the guilt. And apply that grace to the guilt. Because when you see Joseph's response... You see an attitude of grace. You see a man who is just saturated with grace in his life. Look again. They come to Joseph. They fall down before him. They say, we are your servants. And look at what Joseph said to them. He said, do not be afraid, for I am I in the place of God. Now, as I've read through this text, I've tried to say, you know, how could Joseph be such a person of grace? How could he convey grace? How could he be a picture? How could he be an image of grace like this? Well, first, as I've read through it, as I've looked at what he, how he responded to his brothers, I came to this point. I recognized that he was confident of God's position in his life. Like he was confident of who God was and God's position in the universe. Notice what he says here. He says, you're coming to me and you're asking me for more grace and more forgiveness you're asking me not to punish you. But Joseph says, am I God? Are, are you calling me God? Are you referring to me as the one who is on the throne? Because if you are, you are truly mistaken. Because it is God who is in that position. It is God who is in the place where he can bring judgment into another person's life. It is not me. It is God. Now, see, if you're going to convey grace to other people, you have to recognize you're not on the throne. God is. And it's much easier to convey grace to other people when you recognize it's not your responsibility and it is not my responsibility to bring down the punishment and judgment upon others in our lives. That's not our responsibility. You know what I've recognized? God has a way of reigning and getting things right without all of my input. It's strange sometimes. I mean, I am, I am sometimes just like waiting, like for God just to call me on my phone. Maybe I'm in my, hey, I'm in my back office in the Holy of Holies studying. I'm thinking he's going to call. Say, Reggie, how do you think I ought to handle this today? How do you think I ought to deal with this person? Oh, I've got some suggestions. Through this series, I told you I had a list or so. Well, I've got a list even of how I'd probably do certain things in the back office. Don't go searching for it. But what I've come to realize is God is the one who is on the throne. It is not up to you and me 
to punish or bring judgment upon other people, especially those who have hurt us. As I've reminded you before, the scripture actually says, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. What God is saying is, I got this. I don't need your input. I don't need your suggestions. I'm God. And Joseph says, hey, you're acting like I'm God. I'm not. Hardly. There is a God who is on the throne. And he was confident, confident that it was not him. Hey, would you, would you just stop and look at your neighbor right now and just, just look at him. Look, go ahead, go ahead. Look at him and say, you are not God. I'm going to tell you, some of you wives enjoyed that too much. You almost crossed the line of sin. I saw it. You almost did. Only God can condemn. I love the way Paul puts it two millennia away. As he writes to the Romans and he says, Who shall bring charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He says, Who is it? Who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. In other words, what Paul says is there is no other person that could bring condemnation, that could bring such charges against us because God himself has that privilege and that position. And Joseph says, I'm not God. I can convey grace because God is in his position on the throne. He's the one who is reigning. It's almost like he's saying, God is the one who dispenses judgment and grace. And for Joseph in his life, as much of the difficulties he experienced, he also knew that he got a healthy dose of grace. And he was able to deal with others in a grace-filled way. When you and I recognize that he's the one on the throne that's dispensing grace to us, it's a whole lot easier to dispense grace to others. No wonder Paul wrote to the Colossians and he said to them, even as Christ forgave, so you must also do. You've been forgiven. You've experienced grace. You are to convey that grace to other people. You know what it's like. Give it to others. I'd love to delve into it just a little bit more this morning because I do think that there are too many people that are holding on to bitterness in their hearts and lives. And that bitterness is eating them to their very core. And if only they would learn to forgive and to give grace, just as Joseph did here. Folks, it begins with recognizing that God is in his position. That God is on the throne. Joseph says, and he is very confident in it, that God has a position and it is far above ours. But as I read down through this, and I get to verse 20, he also says that he is confident in God's purpose, in God's position on the throne, but also God's purpose. He says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. See, this helps us as we dispense grace, as we convey it to others, to, to know that our God has a purpose for our lives and for this world itself. And that our God, because he is on the throne, 
He has the power to fulfill that purpose no matter what comes against us. God's overall purpose, His eternal purposes can never be thwarted, ever. Nothing can stand against the power and the work of God. And God can fulfill His purpose. God can take that which was meant to be evil and He can use it for something that is good. How awesome is that? To know that we have a God with that type of power. A God who can see that which was meant to be evil. And it was meant to be evil, okay? We're going to get back to that a little bit later. But the brothers, they never had a good intention behind throwing Joseph in the pit or selling him into slavery. The brothers never had a good intention. So, so go ahead and dismiss that idea wholly. They never had a good intention. They meant it for evil. But our God is good enough and big enough that he can take that which was meant to be evil and he can use it for that which can be good. See, Genesis 50, 20. I preached this message to Leslie last night. It was about a three-star when I was preaching to her last night. Out of ten, by the way. Three-star out of ten. But she said to me, she said, that's your favorite passage. And it is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. Because it is the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. Remember what Romans 8.28 says? And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. God has the power to redeem all these things. I'll be honest with you. That's one of the reasons I can keep going each day. And especially one of the reasons I can give grace to others. Because I know no matter what comes in my life, God can take it. Even though it was meant to be evil. And God can bring about good out of it. If you don't believe it in Joseph's story, all you got to do is look at Jesus' story. In particular, look at the cross Look at the Christ event on the cross. That which was meant to be evil. The cross was never to be something that was seen as honorable or life-giving. The cross was supposed to be something that would instill fear in people. That would conjure up ideas of punishment and judgment. But today, don't we look at it so differently? Today we see the cross and we recognize, yes, that it brought death. But it brought about life. Yes, it brought about pain. But it also brought about healing. The cross, which was supposed to be this horrific symbol of evil, has now come to be the powerful emblem of grace and love and life. Those Roman soldiers, when they nailed Jesus to the cross, they did not have good intentions. Those Jewish rulers, when they pronounced the verdict upon Jesus, they certainly did not have good intentions. But our God was big enough and purposeful enough that whatever they said and whatever was done, he was able to take it and to use it for that which was good and glorious for his kingdom. And he could bring life to us. When I recognize my God is that purposeful and powerful, it's so much easier just to 
give grace to people. That God can take it. Because that's what Joseph said. He was confident in God's purpose and power, but he was also confident in God's provision that God was going to give him all that he needed. He said, you know, God did this so that he could save many people. He could save you all. He could, even the people that were up to evil intentions. Oh, by the way, doesn't that sound kind of familiar? When God sent Jesus, he did not send Jesus for those who were righteous. He sent Jesus for those of us who were unrighteous. We were up to no good, evil intentions. And yet he still loved us. And he loved us so much that he died on the cross for us. Here's Joseph saying, hey, God sent me here so that I could provide for you. God's provided for me so that I could provide for you. So I believe in God's provision. And I'm going to help you. He says, I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to take care of your little ones. That, that's the picture of grace, is it not? To be as wounded as he was. To go through the difficulties that Joseph experienced. And to still dispense grace. Wow, it's a challenge to us. All right? It is a challenge. Because it goes against the grain of human flesh. And yet, God has called us to be people who convey grace to others. But this is the difficult part. You cannot convey grace when you continue to carry guilt. You cannot truly, effectively convey grace to others if you're going to carry guilt of your own. So let me step back. Because I've given you the picture of grace as it is seen in Joseph. But I want you to see the picture of guilt. Because to be honest, many more of us in this place, many more of us who are there in the gathering, many more of us identify more with guilt today than we do grace. And I believe God wants to speak to us about that. What does guilt look like? Guilt looks like these brothers. Notice in their lives, they are consumed with their sin. They are consumed with this one particular sin that has haunted them for years. They're consumed with it. Every time something happens, they think about this sin. And here they are. Jacob dies. And what are their first thoughts? Joseph is going to retaliate. Why? Because of the sin. Now I went back and looked. When Jacob died, according to my calculations... And I, have, I know I grew up in Mississippi, and it's hard to calculate sometimes. Hey, we do better math than we do football. Okay, I can just say that. <laughs> Which is not saying much, by the way. But if I figure it up right, Joseph was about 56 when his dad died. 56. Remember when he went down to Egypt? How old was he? Like 17. So begin to try to get this with me. For like 40 years, this one sin has consumed them and haunted them. They've never forgotten it. It really consumes everything that they do, everything that they think. 40 years they've been living with this guilt. 
40 years, they're still consumed about it. It's kind of like David when he sinned, right? He said, my sin is ever before me. It's just always there. They were still consumed by the sin, but get this, they had already been forgiven for it. If you look at Joseph's life and the way he's reacting to his brothers, he's moved on. He's forgiven them for their sins. And yet they are still carrying the guilt in their lives. Chuck Swindoll said they were rehearsing past sin that had been fully forgiven by Joseph, but which had not been fully forgotten by them. They had been fully forgiven, but they just could not fully forget. And it just continued on in their life. Now listen, guilt can be good. Guilt can be good. Guilt can lead us to a, a deeper relationship with Christ if we allow it. Guilt can be good if it helps us to recognize sin in our lives, right? I mean, they had, they had sinned. I don't know if you noticed this, but they said that they had done evil when they're supposedly quoting their dad, which is suspect, I know, but their dad says that they had done evil. And then even Joseph said, yeah, you did evil. So there was no question that they had sinned. There's no question about that. And guilt can lead us to recognize that sin. And the Holy Spirit can use it to draw us closer to Him. But hear this clearly. God does not intend for you and I to continue to carry the guilt of sin. He is taking care of it through the Christ Jesus our Lord. He has forgiven us, and if He has forgiven us, we ought to be able to lay down that guilt. But some of us continue to carry. Some of us continue to allow a sin that happened so many years ago, we still allow it to burden us down and to speak to us, even though God has forgiven us of that. He has taken care of it. He has cleansed us. He has washed us. And yet we still keep coming back to that sin. We're consumed by it. May I remind you what Scripture says. For those of us who are now on the side of the cross and the resurrection, remember what he says. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, get this, A-L-L, all unrighteousness. If we confess our sin to him, it doesn't matter what it is, the blood of his son, the Lord Jesus, will cleanse us from all our sins. It's not based on your feeling. It's not based on whether or not you think it might happen. It happens because that is what God promised us. Psalm 103 tells us that he will Cast our sins as far as the east is from the west and that he will remember them no more. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. If you came in this morning carrying the guilt of that sin, the sin maybe 40 years ago or 20 years ago or 5 
years ago or whatever else, let me say to you this morning, you can lay it down because Jesus has picked it up for you. He has forgiven you. If you come and confess your sin, He is just to forgive us of our sins. They were consumed with their sin. They were consumed, I would even say, with their sentence. They felt like they had been sentenced to a life of punishment and misery and judgment. Now, obviously, I have read through this Joseph narrative several times over the last few weeks in particular. And what I've noted over and over, if something bad happened, they always said, it's because of what we did to Joseph. That's the way they lived. Every time something bad happened, it was always back to that sin. They felt like that life was to be one of misery and judgment and wrath. Now, let me say, sin does have consequences. Absolutely. It does. I believe that. But when God forgives us, when he saves us, we need to recognize he is not calling us to live in fear each day of judgment and wrath. When he forgives us of something that has happened in our lives, he, he does not want us to just be looking on the horizon for every bad thing that could happen. You know, from their perspective, there was no bright future, right? I mean, they believed that they had been sentenced to judgment and to wrath. So even the future held bad and difficult things. Could you imagine living like that? Unfortunately, some of us can. Because some of us believe because of something that happened in our lives or something that occurred that now our life is just destined to reap all of these consequences. And perhaps even the judgment and wrath of God, we believe that. Well, God is not intended for you and I to live in fear of the future. I love Joseph. Twice he looks at his brothers and he says, do not be afraid. Hey, don't, don't be afraid. I mean to think about it. They've lived, they've lived like 17 years in Egypt with him. And they still live in fear? After all the grace he's shown them, after all he's taken care of them, because in their mind, they deserved punishment and wrath. Well, friends, I would tell you today that all of us deserve punishment and wrath by the very definition of us being sinners because the wages of sin is death. So all of us have deserved that. But you and I don't have to live with the guilt of it anymore. We don't have to live in the fear of judgment and condemnation anymore because for those of us who have truly given our lives to Christ, who have committed ourselves to walk in His ways, we have had faith in Him. 
that wrath and that punishment has been taken care of by the one named Jesus. I like scripture a little bit, okay? As you can tell. So let me give you a little scripture to back up what the preacher is saying. Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Again, one of my favorite passages. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Can you get this? All of those charges, all of those indictments, everything that should have brought judgment and wrath in your life, God took those things and he put them on the cross and he nailed them to the cross and he said, those things have been taken care of through my son, the Lord Jesus. You and I don't have to live in that sense of condemnation anymore. Isn't that again what Paul had said in that passage that I spoke of earlier? In Romans 8, 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. And then earlier in Romans 8, I like it, I like it. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Let me say to you that if you are in Christ, you do not have to suffer from guilt anymore because there is no condemnation for you. Not because you are so great. Not because you are so wonderful. You and I, we are nothing but sinners saved by grace. But it is because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for us. And now we stand in his righteousness. They were consumed. That's what guilt does to you. It consumes you in your sin. It consumes you in your sentence or what you perceive to be your sentence. And it will consume you. And what you see as a second-class status in your life. They come to Joseph, and what do they say? We're your servants. We're your servants. Now, humility can be a great thing. Be a wonderful thing. The idea of humbling yourself before someone else, servanthood. That can be a great characteristic. But in this passage, the reason that they are offering themselves as servants and slaves, it is because they do not believe that they are worthy to be the family of Joseph and the family of Jacob because of what they've done. Sin will always do that to us. Sin will always say, oh, you, 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 can't, you, you can't be that close to God. Or guilt, let me just say that. Guilt will scream out and say, remember what you did all back then? No, there's no way you could be part of the family of God. I mean, God would never accept you the way, God, God wouldn't do that. 
Remember the prodigal when he was coming home? The prodigal son? Luke chapter 15. He comes to his dad. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Same kind of idea here. I can't be a part of your family, but God, just let me serve you. Just let, let me. And how did the father respond? The same way God the father responds. He sees his son coming, and he says, bring out the best robe. Bring the ring, place it upon his finger. Bring the sandals, place them upon his feet. The fatted calf that we've been preparing for this, get it ready and let's celebrate my son, which was dead, is now alive. He was lost, and he now is found. And I want you to hear today that no, we're not worthy to be a part of the family. But we've been accepted into the family. We're not servants. We're not slaves. We are a part of the family of God. These brothers, they were part of Joseph's family. They were part of the chosen people. And what guilt will try to do is separate you from the people of God and separate you from the relationship. But again, what does the scripture say? Ephesians 2.19, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the family of God. John, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then perhaps my favorite in this line of scriptures, Galatians 4, 6 through 7. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son who into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, listen to this. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. Guilt will try to say that you're not worthy to be a part of the family. Satan will try to come and undercut, undercut your position in the family of God. And I want you to say every time, I want you to look at Satan when he comes to you and say, Satan, this is not based upon what you think or what you've done. I am part of the family of God because God loved me so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for me. And now I stand in his righteousness and life. And because of that, I am part of his family. You and I, you and I, should not allow guilt to steal our position, steal our heart, steal our joy. You see, too many of us in this place, I said, we're carrying guilt. And we're consumed with the sin. We're consumed with what we think is a sentence of judgment and wrath. We believe that we're second-class citizens or second-class in the kingdom because of things that we've done in the past. I want you to hear today. You don't have to carry the guilt anymore. You can convey grace to others. As a matter of fact, if you walk in here today, and you're carrying that guilt, I, I just want to say to that guilt, guilt, meet grace. Guilt, 
meet grace. Because mercy will triumph every time. Grace will meet that guilt and it will overwhelm that shame and that pain so that you can convey grace to others. Would you lay that guilt down? Would you give it up? Would you allow God to gracefully take it away from your heart and your life? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning. Oh, how blessed we are as your people those of us who have accepted you and trusted you and committed ourselves to you, how blessed we are that we have received grace. Something we never deserved. Something you provided for us as a gift. But God, too many times, even those of us who are believers... We keep carrying that guilt with us. Keep dragging it on. Lord, it makes us fearful of our future. It consumes us. Lord, it makes us think that we can't serve you or be a part of your family. God, speak to us. And Lord, help us to be people who will receive grace and convey it to others. Speak to us. Transform us. And when we leave this place today, may we be better, may we be better stewards of that grace that you've given us. We pray it in Jesus' name.